of God. We have heard a call to prayer. And it moves us to humility. To be reminded that as broken as we are, we do have a direct hotline to you. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And that it's a conversation in which we can speak, in which we can listen, in which we can fall into silence. We thank you that as a community here at Calvin College, we can be people of prayer. We thank you for floors that have prayer lists in which they pray for each other, for groups of students who meet together with the express purpose of praying, for small groups of faculty and staff who gather to pray, and for rooms in our dorms and in the basement of this chapel where we can go and be quiet and talk and listen and cry and laugh, all in the presence of you, our triune God. We pray a rich blessing on the prayer summit this week. We pray for safe travel for everyone who is gathering. We pray that once again, where the spirit of the Lord is, there will be freedom and things will be realized and understood and expressed that sin will be confessed, that assurance of pardon will be experienced, that people will be brought to a fresh and new relationship with you. We pray for a breaking down of any dividing walls between congregations, between individuals, between races and ethnic backgrounds and worship styles and traditions. We pray instead that your name will be lifted up above all other names and that you will pour your spirit out on our brothers and sisters. And we pray that for our campus, that you will pour your spirit out on us. We thank you that we are the children of the King. We thank you that we worship in the season of Eastertide, when we remember that death has been conquered. And Lord, we claim that promise. We claim it for Allison this week as she mourns the loss of her father. Surround her and her family with your resurrection comfort. And remind her that someday, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, her father will be raised from the dead to eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth. We pray for Ryan Reynolds continuing to mourn the loss of his brother. For others in our community who are mourning the loss of grandparents, parents, siblings, friends, either recently or long ago. We thank you that you are a God who does not stay afar off, but you come near to us. You know what it's like to stand at the grave of a friend and weep. You know what it's like to suffer the loss of betrayal. And you know what it's like to rise from the dead so that death no longer has a sting. Lord, we claim that truth today. And we pray for our community as we move into the last few weeks of classes. Some of us are behind and overwhelmed, and we're not sure how we're ever going to catch up. Lord, help us to make good choices, to be disciplined. Help us to tell the truth to our professors about what's happening and where we need help. Help us to be faithful to the call you've placed on our lives to be students, and not to shirk that call for things that are easier or more fun. Help us to be faithful to be academically engaged, because that's what you've called us to do at this season of our lives. 
Lord, we pray for the decisions being made on our campus about budget and priorities, that you will give wisdom to those who are making decisions, that you will give them courage to do what you are asking them to do. And God, we pray for our city as Central Grand Rapids continues to wonder about violence on our streets and what to do about it. We ask wisdom for our city council, for the members of our police force and others. We pray that you will become Lord of this city in ways that you aren't right now and that we will serve as agents of renewal. If we live in a neighborhood or if we live in a dorm, may we try to make our place of residence a place where neighbors know each other and love each other and care for each other well. And God, as we think tonight about the Church of Jesus Christ, as we think tonight about the global church, the local church, the church we may have worshipped in this morning, God, we ask that you will send your Holy Spirit among us to convict us of things, correct our errors, and move us into right thinking and right living in regards to congregational life. We thank you for the Church of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing it is that it continues to prosper, even though it exists on leftover time and leftover money. There must be something divine about that. Thank you for being alive in the church and help us to invest ourselves there too. Holy Spirit, come on us now as we read your word and hear it preached. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn to Acts 2. Page 886 in your pew Bibles. Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the very end of it. Beginning to read at verse 43. Acts 2. Luke, who is the author of Acts, he writes this. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to keep your Bibles open. We'll be coming back to that. So this week in the mail, I got this. See what this says? It says, Destination Vacation. Not it. And... And you flip through, and it's on the cover is the Swiss Alps. You could take a train ride through the Swiss Alps, it tells you. You can go on the Virginia Wine Trail. It's not something I would do. Um, you could go here, wherever that is. That looks like fun. You could walk on a beach like those people are doing. That looks like fun. And then there's this image that caught my eye, which was this. Do you see how tranquil that looks? It's, I'll come closer. You gotta get this. Do you see the beach? You got the beach with the chairs and the umbrellas. You even have the on the little chairs, everybody gets their own little rolled up towel. 
and next to each chair is a little stand. And you know that's where you're supposed to put the fruity little drink with a little umbrella in it. That's where that's supposed to go. So, so you look at this with the, with the beautiful water and the beach, and there's nobody there. And it's all quiet. And you start to imagine, like, oh, doesn't that look good? That looks so good. I wish I was there. And especially on a morning in April when there was actually enough snow to accumulate on the ground. What is that about? You look at this picture and you think, I would so much rather be there than here. Right? Oh, beautiful picture. <laughs> and I have to say, when we read that last little bit of the second chapter of Acts, we read it and we think, oh, beautiful picture. I would so much rather be there than here. Because we look at the churches that we're associated with, the churches that we've grown up with, and we see kind of the, the mess and you know, the, the conflict, and you, you sit down in church, and you read the bulletin, and you find out, oh, we're $20,000 behind in our budget, and it's only April. That's great. And you flip, and you find out, oh, this church needs some youth people to work at it. Doesn't every church need youth people to work at it? Like, isn't that like a growing thing, like a common problem? And then, you, you know, you start talking with somebody after church, and she says, oh, we got to get rid of our choir director, and none of us can tell her, like, she needs to retire, and we just can't figure out how to do that. And you're like, oh, my goodness. And then you find out that, the, you know, you go to the church, and they use styrofoam cups, and you're like, styrofoam, what is this, 1978? Come on. And, and you just, you know, you get into the, the, the closer you get to the life of the church, you just got to go like, oh. I want to be here. I want to be in the beautiful picture. It's so messy around here. It's so complicated. And the church is so hard. Oh. <laughs> and so it's tempting when you're in that kind of situation, when you're feeling that. It's tempting then to say, well, then I'm not going to get that involved. And you begin to treat the Sunday morning selection of where to go much the way you treat the Friday evening selection of where to go. Hey, I think we should go to Uccello's. No, we totally always go to Uccello's. Come on, but I want pizza. Well, then Brick Road, man, buy local. Come on, let's go. What are we talking about? Can we go to Arnie's? Old people go to Arnie's. <laughs> no, we're not going to Arnie's. The same thing happens on Sunday morning. Well, who's preaching at that church? I don't know. I don't want to go up with that person preaching because they go so long and then we can never make it back in time for lunch. Well, I don't want to go if this worship band is at this church today because they always do like the folky stuff with the tambourines and I just can't deal with that this morning. Well, why don't we go to this church? Not that church. That's where all the old people go to church. I don't want to go to that church. And we see churches like, I just need to go and get my little church fix on and then step out. Just need to go and get a little fill-in and then I'm done. And church becomes all about me and consuming the things that I want to consume. I would like to consume, please. Yes, I will have a um, 
uh, a meaningful and thematic musical entrance into the service that ties in with a well-thought-out, polished, articulate, biblical uh, sermon. And then I'd like to have a really thoughtful response to it all, and not just like the per person finishes and ends. And then I'd like a blessing at the end. That's really important to me. And then um, fair trade coffee. Could <laughs> I'd, I'd like that, please. Could I please have that? And we start to just see church as this thing that we just get to pick from. There's, and when you live in Grand Rapids, you have a buffet of options from which you can select, and you can be very fussy, very fussy. And there's a cultivation of fussiness around worship and church and stuff that allows us to see, well, it's all very messy, you see, and so I will just take a step back, and I will show up at 10.59, and I will slip into a pew, and I will consume what I need to consume, and at uh, 11.22, no later, I will slip out of the pew, I will avoid interaction with any other human being whatsoever except maybe the coffee person, and then I will get into my car and go back, having checked the go-to-church box off my list of things to do. It's very neat. It's very clean. It allows me to live in this fantasy that this is my church experience. You notice, however, that Luke does not finish writing the book of Acts at the end of chapter 2. He doesn't finish writing and say, and the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. There you go. That's the church. Isn't it beautiful? It's so great. And I'm not going to even write anymore because you've all experienced this for yourselves. You all know that this is exactly what church looks like. And I'm sure 2,000 years later, it's looking exactly like it did here. So my work here is done. I've written the story of the early church. <clears throat> The story keeps going. There are problems. People lie. People get smited. That's the word. It's a smite. Chapter 5, we get some smiting. We get some persecution. We get some people arrested. We get somebody stoned. Stoned like big rocks. Just wanted to clarify. Just wanted to clarify. I've been reading about 420 this afternoon. That's all like in my head. Stone as rocks. Yeah, both bad. Both bad. That's going to be the outtake for tonight's. So. so if we flip on down, continuing to read through the word of the Lord, you get to chapter 15. Acts 15, page 899. Acts 15. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. Well, let's just stop it right there. So here's what happens. There's a mess in the life of the church. The church that has been all touchy-feely, we have everything in common, we're all sharing, and even though people are 
killed and people are persecuted, we're still in this together, well, suddenly they reach their first major issue. Some people are saying, well, when people are converted, when Gentiles choose to follow Jesus, they're actually becoming Jews. And our policy when people become Jews is that they get circumcised and they follow the entire law of Moses, just like we do. And shouldn't that be what happens now? When Gentiles are turning to follow Jesus, they're really becoming Jews. And other people said, no, 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 that's not right at all. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is that something new is happening and that in Jesus Christ, the law has been fulfilled. And heaven knows we haven't been able to keep the law of Moses very well. Why would we make Gentiles keep the law of Moses? So this big, significant debate, people on both sides going back and forth, talking about it, and they finally decide, all right, here's what we're going to do. When Gentiles join the church, they don't have to be circumcised, but they do need to avoid eating meat that's sacrificed from idols, avoid eating blood, avoiding things that are strangled, all which were part of pagan rituals of sacrifice, and they need to flee from sexual immorality. Those are the things. And so people are sent out with a letter that they write up. They come up with a decision. They write it up. They put in a letter. People are sent out. The Gentiles, particularly the men who hear this information, are very happy about it, as one might believe. I'm not kidding. It says that right here in the scriptures. They're very happy. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and there with many others. They taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. This is verse 35. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let's return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the Lord, word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul decided to not take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. This disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Messy, right? What happened to Acts 2? What happened to that nice, nice picture? Here we've got fights, we've got councils, we've got debates, we've got letters being written, we've got people who have very different understandings about do we restore this person? Do we say he's not trustworthy? And they part ways. It's messy. The church is messy. The church was messy way back here at the beginning. And so while we like to look at the Acts 2 fantasy and see, oh, it's so pretty. It's such a beautiful picture. Oh, the, thing. the truth is, you know, the pool's cold. And there are these birds that come and they try to get your little fruit out of your little drink. And there's a big uh, beach volleyball court, that's just, and they play the music really loud all the time, so you cannot read your Oprah magazine like you wanted to. And, and you're like, oh, man, even my fantasy isn't right. And we can get discouraged and saying, oh, see, even Paul and Barnabas, two men of God, like, they couldn't get it right. Isn't that even more reason for us to say this whole church thing is just silliness to try and get along with each other? What does God do? So Acts 15 is full of mess, right? It's a big kettle of mess. 
You got the Jews trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles. And they make this big decision out of a long debate. And what does that decision do? This is very important in your life unless you are a Jew. What does that decision do? It lets you in. It says you get to come in. You get to come into the life of the church. You get to come in. They have this big debate and it allows for the explosion of evangelism. Because Gentiles realize that there's something here that's going to demand some things of them. It's going to demand them to change their ways. But what happens is the gospel just explodes because of this decision. And then what happens with Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Mark? Two big missionary adventurers, right? We know more about Paul and Silas because it's believed that Luke traveled with them. But Barnabas and Mark go out. Paul and Silas go out. And so God redeems the brokenness. God goes right into the mess. And he says, all right, you got some mess here. But the word is good. Paul and Silas, you take it this way. Barnabas and Mark, you take it this way. God loves a good mess. He loves a good mess. That's where he can do his best work. Remember creation? Genesis 1, the earth was formless and void. And the great Hebrew for this, I've told you this before, is tohu babohu. Right? It was a big mess. The earth was a big mess. And God was like, yes, this is my stuff. This is what I do. <laughs> right? So when we picture the church like this, when we have these little fawning fantasies about Acts 2, and let's all stand around in a circle and king, sing Kumbaya, and it's, that's going to be the best possible church, God's like, come on, let's get real. Church is about mess, and I love a good mess, because that's where you see me, is in crisis, is in mess. You may not know this, but Calvin College was actually started to create and train people who could deal with some mess. So when, when we all got started here, Calvin first began as a school to train pastors for a little denomination called the Christian Reformed Church. That was its first purpose, to train up pastors. Dutch immigrants in a new area, they needed some pastors, let's set up a school, let's train up some pastors. So they're training pastors for a while, and that's going pretty well. And they start to think, well, maybe we should expand our offerings. Maybe we should do more, a little liberal arts here and there. And one of the key reasons why Calvin Seminary became Calvin College and Seminary was because the people said, we, in our churches, we don't just need people who are good pastors, but we need good council members. We need good elders and deacons. And we need people who can think and read and write and debate and go to church council and make good decisions and write them down and send them out to people. We need that. So let's, let's make us a college. And the chief purpose of Calvin College was not to make nurses and engineers and social workers and history majors. It was to make elders and deacons for the church. Because the people had the foresight to say, church gets messy, we want some people who know how to do mess. 
This is also why we have you live in dorms. And why you live in houses. Because you learn how to deal with the emotional mess of what it takes to live together. Maybe you were here in chapel when the Project Neighborhood people spoke about, gave their testimonies about what it's like to live in a Project Neighborhood. And I loved it when one of them stood up and she's like, um, yeah, I, uh, I hated Project Neighborhood when I first uh, went there. And we're all like, oh, well, that's going to be an interesting story. And she talked about how she hated Project Neighborhood the first few weeks and even into the whole first semester because it demanded so much of her to live in community with these people with whom she had nothing in common. And she had to change how she lived in order to live with these other people. And it was hard work. And she said, I was so tired all the time because I was trying to live with these people who did things so differently from me. But she said, this is what God did in my life. He just chipped away at the things that didn't need to be there. And he just kept pouring in more of things that need to be. And now I can say at the end of the year that I am a better and different person because I did the hard work of living in community with these people. Project Neighborhood made an impact on her and she made an impact on Project Neighborhood. That is somebody who's going to get church. Because if you stay and you do the consumer thing and you float on the edge and you swoop in and you take your little worship service and you swoop out, you never get to hear the stories. All you'll see is the Acts 15 kind of mess going on and you will never break through to the Acts 2. Because it's easy to see the Acts 15, all right? The Acts 15 and the mess, that's all over the place. But if you start to ask some stories, ask for some stories, you're going to hear about the Acts 2. If you say things like, hey, I notice you have no peanuts. No peanuts are allowed here. It's, I bet there's a story about that. And you're going to hear about a little kid who had a food allergy and how the entire church said, no peanuts to protect the life of one child. You're going you're gonna to read in the bulletin that they have the ad addresses of all the people who are serving in the armed forces. And you're going you're gonna to walk up to somebody and say, I noticed that you put in all the names of your soldiers and your airmen and Navy. Like, I bet there's a story there. And you're going to hear about how that local congregation in World War II lost 37 of its young men and made a commitment to always support the people in the service. Or maybe you're going to go to one church and maybe if you swoop in and swoop out, you'll never notice that to the right of the stairway leading into the church, there's a garden. And if you ask, you'll hear a story it goes something like this. A few years ago, several years ago now, there was a woman, a mom, who suffered a miscarriage deep into her pregnancy. And it was a significant loss. And as she was grieving this loss, there was another woman from the church who came to her and said, I suffered a miscarriage at about the same time. I know what that's about. I know what that's like. Let's get together. And then another woman came forward and said, I suffered a miscarriage. And they began to realize that there must be more stories like this. And so they just put something in the bulletin. If, you, if you're a mother and you've suffered a loss of any kind, we're going to get together. And they met in the basement 
of the church in one of those little rooms with a bad coffee. And I heard a story from someone who had an abortion had never been able to talk about it in the church and was finally able to talk about it. We heard a story of a failed adoption and the woman brought a picture of the child that she never got to hold and tell that story. There were women who had suffered miscarriages 30, 40 years prior, had never been able to talk about them until they got in that basement room with the bad coffee and they sat in the room and they cried and they talked and they cried and they laughed and they said, we are not going to let any other women in this congregation think that they are alone when they suffer loss. And so they made their group public and they put words like adoption and abortion and miscarriage right in the bulletin. And they planted a garden right next to the entry of the steps of that church. A garden that blooms all kinds of different flowers, but all of them are white. A garden that has a path through the middle that some say looks like a shepherd's crook and others say looks like a question mark because either one of those is appropriate. You don't get to hear the Acts 2 story without going through the Acts 15 mess. Because God does his best work in the mess. And this story of these women gathering together to talk about their mess in the light of the larger mess of the Christian church allowed for healing and redemption and laughter in ways that they would never have predicted. It is tempting to read the end of Acts 2 and fantasize about everybody sharing everything in common and what that would be like and to forget the hard work of Acts 15. But God won't let us. God invites us tonight to say, let me get in the mess. I want to be in a church that I can shape and I want to be in a church that will shape me. That's what you need. And when you skip in and skip out, when we skip in and skip out, we avoid the mess, but we avoid the redemption of the mess. And that's where God is. It's the mess that tells us who we are. On this poster up front, it's obvious that it says the word church. It says the word church. You'll come up and see it. What's less obvious is that it's made up of little pictures taken from all of the churches that students attend. So when you come up, you may see on here an image from a church you worship at, a church where you are, and you'll also see that it's kind of messy, isn't it? It's been dripped on, it's been smeared, it's been smudged, and it's gonna get a little messier. Because tonight, we invite you to come forward. There are pads of ink here on the ground. And we invite you to put your thumb on an ink pad. And then print it on the paper. As a reminder 
but God is in the mess. And we get to mark the church, and the church gets to mark us. So you're going to go home with a little bit of mess tonight. And you're going to remember that God is in the mess. Will you pray with me? Our God, we praise you that you are in the mess. And it's so easy for us to just see the mess when we look at the church. When we look at the global church and its weakness to stand up to tyrants. When we look at the local church and its tendency toward gossip and backbiting. When we look in our own hearts and see the laziness, the selfishness, the pride that prevents us from moving into the mess, we see a lot of mess. So Lord, we are grateful that you are a God who loves a good mess and that you get right in there and get to work. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for redeeming the mess of the church and by doing it in and through us and to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.